Welcome to the Valley View Friends Church Podcast. This is Pastor Josh. Thank you for tuning in. I am so glad to share the next few minutes with you today. I'm all about you thriving in life and growing in your relationship with Jesus. At Valley View Friends Church, we like to say this, that we are learning how to live as God's people. And we do this by reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. Today, we're continuing on. We're nearly finished with our series uh, through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' teaching that calls the Christian to live a life that is holy. Well, for today's text, one memory or one fear I have came to to my mind as I was reading our text, and that is, I don't like caves. I hate caves. I hate the feeling of being in an enclosed space. I do not like being put underground. Dirt and rocks are heavy, and if they fall in, that's a lot to move. So, I don't like the idea of being underground. Put me in a cave, and one of my first thoughts is, what if there's an earthquake? What am I going to do? Will the cave hold together, or will an earthquake cause this old rickety thing to fall in on me? Sure, maybe it's been here for hundreds and hundreds of years, but will the entrance get blocked? Do not turn out the lights. And yes, that's usually the point when I recall every mining accident news story I've ever heard. And I think back to my seventh grade English class where we had to read a short story about the plight of a cave explorer who got pinned under a rock in a cave and the rescue attempt failed. Yes, yes. In seventh grade, they had us read a story about a failed rescue attempt. I even remember the teacher showing us a diagram of how close the rescuers came to success, that they were just a few feet away from being able to help. I'm sure there was a reason that we had to read that in seventh grade. Maybe there's some masterful literary device we need to learn about. Um, But my takeaway from reading that story was, no, 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 no. I'm not going to go into a cave. Caves kill. No way. Not me. I'm not doing it. Now, inevitably, there's a place on all cave tours, at least the ones that I've been on, where the guide has you squeeze through some sort of strange, narrow opening. They go, okay, the cave's going to get narrower here. And I go, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not doing that. Now, I know I'm not helping myself by being a bigger guy. But I have visions as I squeeze through that narrow little opening of being the one guy who gets stuck forever. I picture that my doom is sealed now as Caveman, the new resident who is dumb enough to get stuck in that small opening. Well, I've not gone on many cave tours in my life. I tend to avoid them. I think I've been on four. Each one has had that narrow passage moment. And then the last two times that I have been asked to step through that narrow entrance, I had to really talk myself up and convince myself that going forward is the better path, that going back the way I came isn't going to work like going forward will. Today, we have a short parable by Jesus. It's not about caves, thankfully. But it is about a choice between a narrow and a wide gate, a narrow and a broad path. And then Jesus warns about teachers who would lead you the wrong way. Now, no one's going to get stuck hopelessly in the narrow door that Jesus is talking about, but it can be a scary decision. Unlike caves, though, the reward is great for going through that narrow gate and traveling the narrow path. For the wide path, the warning is sharp. That road leads to destruction. 
So Jesus invites us to choose. And my question for you today is, are you traveling the narrow or the broad path? Which one is it? Because there are two roads, one leading to life as it is meant to be, and the other to misery and destruction. Stay on the narrow way and be wary of those who try to lead you off the right path. So let's go to the text. It's in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 20, and it reads like this. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize recognize them. So, Jesus uses a simple picture to describe just how vital your relationship with God is. And he describes your relationship with God with a picture of a doorway and a path. And it's pretty easy for us to understand. We describe life as a journey, and we use phrases like, how are you navigating life? Are you navigating through the difficult challenges lately? Uh, Robert Frost had a famous poem, The Road Not Taken, in which a hiker deliberates which path to take in a fork in the journey. Now, some interpret that poem as a call to take your own path, to follow your heart, while others read that poem and say, you know what, you you can paralyze yourself with a choice over which path to take. Either way, once the image of the path is known, striking your own path is a fine idea, but it's dangerous if that path is counter to God. The idea of choosing the way is found all throughout the Bible. It depicts the essential decision of choosing God or choosing selfishness. You can read in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 19, and it says this, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. There's two ways again, right? For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, and to keep His commandments, decrees, and laws, and then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away... And you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away and to bow down to other gods and to worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your children may live. You hear the choice language and the journey language in that decision? Psalm 1. If you go to Psalm 1 and read it, we won't do it here. But it begins with a a picture of journeying in the way of sinners. The way you don't want to go. In the New Testament, the church is described as literally the people of the way. You find it all over the book of Acts, and we'll give you just two examples today. Acts chapter 9, verse 2 says this, 
And he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And then Acts 24.14 says, However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, for which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law that is written in the prophets. So, the church was called the way. It's that picture of traveling on a path is very common to the human race, and Jesus uses the picture of the path to have us make a choice. So, how do we follow the way? Well, the Bible is a guide for us on the way. You can think of Psalm 119, 105, where it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light on my path. The Bible guides you on the way. And the Holy Spirit is a guide who works in concert with the Bible. Galatians 5.25 says this, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, meaning journey along with the Spirit, walk in the way of the Spirit. Jesus describes the critical choice before us, choosing the way, the narrow door, the narrow path or the wide door and the broad path. So, let's take a moment and look at the very various ways that Jesus describes the choice in front of us. And the first one is simple, two ways. Two ways are presented, a wide one and a narrow one. Now, I've always interpreted the narrow, the narrow, that the narrowness implies difficulty or a certain treacherousness, while the wide was a path of ease. And I think that's because I've always pictured a narrow path on a mountainside where there's a cliff edge and there's a danger of falling off and slipping if you miss where you put your foot. And I I think we kind of get that. And I think we realize that following Jesus is not easy. But Jesus does not say that the narrow, narrow, narrow path is difficult. He doesn't, he doesn't say it'll be easy. Let me say that. He doesn't say it'll be treacherous. He does say that the narrow path leads to life. It is a path that brings life. It is a path when walked well, fills you with meaning and joy. So, don't fixate on the path being hard or treacherous or anything like that. Rather, fixate on that choosing the narrow path means you have to forsake the other and that choosing the narrow path leads to life. Now, the other path is wide, and he does say that the wide path is easy. It's also full of people. John Stott describes the wide path like this. There's plenty of room on it for diversity of opinions and laxity of morals. It is the road of tolerance and permissiveness. It has no curbs, no boundaries of either thought or conduct. Travelers on this road follow their own inclinations, that is, the desires of the human heart and its fallenness. Stott goes on to describe that it, what it is that makes this wide path so easy to follow. And this description really grabbed me. He writes these words, superficiality, self-love, hypocrisy, mechanical religion, false ambition, censoriousness, which is a harsh critical spirit. These things do not have to be learnt or cultivated. Effort is needed to resist them. No effort is required to practice them, and that is why the broad road is easy. And what a thought is that? That there are all these inclinations that we we can kind of just fall into hypocrisy and false ambition and being critical of others, and it's just not hard to do at all. And so that's why the road is easy. The wide road asks very little of us other than to practice the worst of human nature. 
The narrow path is different. It is narrow because it is built not on personal preference, but on divine revelation. The narrow path asks us to restrict ourselves to believing the truth of God and to let go of personal opinion and what we want to be right and true. We have to say, oh, there's only one way. Truth puts a limitation on what we believe. We cannot simply believe anything. And truth puts boundaries on goodness and on how we behave. We have to behave a certain way. The narrow path asks you to step into the boundaries that God has set. Now, let's go on to the second image, the doors or the gateways leading to these paths. Jesus describes two doorways, a wide doorway and a small one. The wide gate leads to a broad, well-worn road. We've talked about that already. And a small gate leads to the narrow, less-traveled path. The small gate is limited to Jesus and his way of discipleship. The wide way is inviting because everyone and anyone can walk in any way that they please. Again, John Stott describes the wide gate this way. It is the gate leading, uh, the gate is leading to the easy way. It's wide, for it is a simple matter to get on the easy road. There is evidently no limit to the luggage that we can take with us. We need leave nothing behind, not even our sins, our self-righteousness, or our pride. Now, what a picture that is, realizing that one reason the wide door is so appealing is, is you don't have to give anything up. It is our human nature to avoid change, to avoid the dangerous work of disciplining ourselves, of wanting to be holy. The wide gate is welcoming because it tells everyone, hey, you're okay, do whatever you want. But the wide road does not end well. Now, the small door is different. And again, John Stott writes this, in order to enter it, we must leave behind every sin selfish ambition and covetousness. Even if necessary, we need to leave family and friends, for no one can follow Christ who is not first denied himself. In another parable, Jesus takes this teaching even further, and he will tell that he is the gate. He is the door. John 10, 9, he says, I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved, and they will come in and go out and find pasture. For that matter, we read John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The narrow way is Jesus and Jesus' way. He invites all, everyone's allowed, to himself. And he says that we're all permitted. He wants us all to choose the narrow way, but the narrow way only works if we do it Jesus' way. So, what is the way of Jesus? Well, first, it's salvation by Christ alone. And it's calling Him Lord alone. And then, you and I respond by living a Christ-like life, a way of obedience, a way of humility, a way of sacrifice. So, we've talked about the ways, we've talked about the doors, now let's talk about the crowds, because there are two crowds. And the crowds make choosing the path very difficult. The way of Jesus is open to all, but he makes it clear that not everyone will choose his way. He also makes it clear that when we walk on the narrow path, we travel in the minority. And no one likes to feel out of the popular opinion. 
because there is power in popular opinion. Here's a story about the potato of all things, a food that we eat uh, probably too much of in our culture today. When it was first introduced into England by Sir Walter Raleigh, newspaper printed newspapers printed editorials against the potato. Ministers preached sermons against the potato. The general public wouldn't touch potatoes. It was supposed to. It was supposed people thought and they imagined that it sterilized the soil in which it had been planted, and it caused all manner of strange illnesses and even death. There were, however, a few brave men who did not believe all the propaganda being shouted against the potato, and it was seen as an answer to famine among the poor classes and as a healthful and beneficial food. Still, these noblemen of England could not persuade their tenants to cultivate potatoes. It was years before all the adverse publicity was overcome and the potato became popular. Here is one of the steps, one of the steps, on how it became popular. A Frenchman named, I can't pronounce his name, Parmentier, took a different tack. He had been a prisoner of war in England when he had first heard of the new plant, this potato. And his fellow prisoners protested and outraged. They were outraged at having to eat potatoes. But Parmentier said, thoughtfully, and instead, he thoughtfully inquired about the methods of cultivating and cooking the new food. Upon his return to France, he procured an experimental farm from the emperor in which he planted potatoes. When it was time to dig them, at his own expense, he hired a few soldiers to patrol all sides of his famous potato patch during the daytime. Meanwhile, he conducted distinguished guests through the fields, digging a few of the tubers here and there, which they devoured with evident relish. At night, he began to withdraw the guards. A few days later, one of the guards hastened to Parmenter and said with sad news that the peasants had broken into the potato, potato patch and stolen and dug up most of the crop. Parmenter was overjoyed. He was thrilled, uh, which surprised the guard, and he exclaimed, When people will steal in order to procure potatoes, their popularity is assured. What a strange story, isn't it? That's just a simple potato. But it shows how popular opinion can keep people from something or push people towards something for no other reason than the group believes it to be so. Beware. The crowd will always favor the wide road. Now, there are two destinations that Jesus talks about in this teaching. Jesus tells us that one path leads to life and the other destruction it is one or the other. You don't find less life on the broad path than the narrow one. There is no life to be found on the wide path. I think people misunderstand that. They think, well, I can enjoy life and walk on the wide path. No, there is no actual life to be found on the wide path. While Jesus doesn't mention the word hell in this teaching, that is the ultimate destination of the wide path. But the wide path is lifeless the whole way. Whatever life you think you taste on the wide path is only imagined. Earlier this summer, I was getting into the car with my son, Seth, and we just looked at each other. It was a look of mutual understanding, and then I think either I or Seth said, Wow, it's hot in here. And then I thought about it and said, Imagine if you're stuck in this hot car forever and it never cooled down. It's a hot car for eternity. 
We didn't like that idea. But that is not even what hell really is. Hell is fire, forever, misery, and everlasting death. But I want to offer another thought from John Stott. <laughs> Didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it did. He lights he highlights something about hell that I think we conveniently forget. He writes, Everything good will be destroyed in hell. In it there will be no love and loveliness. There will be no beauty and truth. There will be no joy peace and hope, and that forever. I think sometimes we think of the hot punishment of hell, but we don't picture that hell will be the absence of all goodness and pleasure. There will be no happiness there, no contentment, no rest, no, no just less than enjoyable life. It'll be death. Take away every ounce of what is good when you think of hell, because goodness comes from God. Now, a warning. Beware of those who would lead you off the path. Because the choice between the narrow path and the broad one is so critical, Jesus warns us to be wary of teachers who are wolves in sheep's clothing. They look good, but they are ferocious. False teachers blur the message of salvation. They minimize the judgment of God. They make our hearts the guide of life rather than the truth of God as the guide of life. False teachers, they are fierce. They are greedy for their own gain, their own prestige, and their own power. And on top of all that, they are deceptive. It's hard to spot them. And I also want to point this out. False teachers, when we talk about false teachers, we usually think of uh, pastors, uh, television preachers, uh, professors, teachers, but they're not just always religious leaders. That's usually what we think of. But false teachers are, can really be anybody, anyone who would influence you away from the narrow way of Jesus and to the broad road that he warns against. Yeah, it might be a TV preacher or a pastor or an elder with an ego, but the false teacher can also be a cultural leader, a musician, an actor. It can be a coach or a professor or a workplace manager. They can all be false teachers. It can be a friend. Beware of anyone who tries to reroute you onto the broad and easy path. Jesus tells us that the only way to spot these wolves in sheep clothing is by their fruit, and so he changes the image from an animal to a tree. Appearance will mislead you, but their fruit, they can't bear fruit of any other kind than their own kind. J.C. Ryle says this about the types of fruit. He says this, sound doctrine and holy living are the marks of true prophets. The fruit of a false teacher is that they will upset your faith, they'll provoke ungodliness, they'll cause division. You will spot their fruit in their character and in their conduct. No, this is not judging. I know I warned against that last week. The judging that Jesus forbids is closing the book on someone and declaring their final state. Jesus is asking us to discern false teachers discern for our own safety. So what will the character look like if they're a good teacher? 
I think the fruit of the Spirit is always the best place to start. And for that, we need to go back to Galatians chapter 5. We are already there earlier in the message. We read, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Well, William Barclay says this, All life concentrates on man at the crossroads. Every action of life presents us with a choice, and we cannot avoid the choice because we do not stand still. We must take one way or another. We got to choose, broad way or narrow way. Sometimes we don't really think we're making a choice, but we are. Please don't give up on the narrow way because you feel like you're stumbling on the path. It's okay. You're not going to get it perfect all the time. (laughs) I remember the first time I went ice skating. And no, I don't ice skate very often. It's not my thing. But I had just watched Olympic ice skating. I thought, oh, wow, those athletes, they glide along the ice, making it look so easy. Now, I know I'm not an Olympian, but they are so good at this. How hard is it to just go forward in a circle around an ice rink? Oh, man, was I in for it. It was brutally hard. I learned that I have only two ice skating talents. The first one is falling, and the other is closely related. My other talent in ice skating is gripping the wall of the rink with a death grip with my knuckles going white for sheer survival as I slowly and ungracefully make my way around the rink. But you know what? Every time I make my way around the rink, I get a little better. Do not confuse something to be easy when you see a veteran perform well. And do not assume that since you are struggling, that you're on the wrong path or that you're messing everything up. Keep at it. Stay on the narrow path. So will you choose the wide gate or the narrow gate? Today is the best day to say, yes, I will choose Jesus. I will choose the narrow gate, and he will be my Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Lord, my prayer is a simple one. Keep us on the narrow path. Guard us from false teachers. Guard us from our own selfishness. Guard us from the pressure of the crowd. Lord, remind us when our feet falter that you have given us your word as a guide, and even more, that the Holy Spirit will lead us himself. Help us to see more clearly that life is found only on the narrow way, the way that is, and he is, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. Let us realize that the way is Jesus himself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.